Well, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, and we've observed last week that Nehemiah has come to Jerusalem with the intention to repair and rebuild the city of Jerusalem, to get its walls back intact, uh, because the city has been put to shame, essentially, after uh, the invasion that had happened with the Babylonian destruction, as well as opposition that has continued in the land. And so Nehemiah takes it upon himself to take the opportunity to come back and perform this great work. Now, Nehemiah is not a nobody, and neither is he a construction worker. He is a cupbearer to the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. And yet, even in that high position, he looks for the opportunity, prays to God, and makes the request to be the one to lead this restoration back in Jerusalem. And so, uh, in the first two chapters, we see him come back with letters and supplies preparing to do this this great work and stirring up the people to do this work. And that's where chapter 3 begins and talking about the ability of how these people endured and how they had a mind to work. And we're going to look at their lives and look at what they did in these two chapters in Nehemiah 3 and 4, and, and then make some applications about us and our work for God as we work in the kingdom as well. Uh, in chapter 3, uh, chapter 3 begins with just talking about the work that was going to be accomplished The first three verses, you'll see the repetition of the word build or built. But really the big repetition that is found in this chapter 38 times by my count is the word repaired. Is that here is everybody going about doing the repairs. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of those. And for the sake of those of the faithful uh, that have gone on before us, I won't butcher all of their names either. But you have throughout chapter 3 here a description of all of the people who are doing this work and what they were accomplishing, what they were building, what they were repairing. And so each name and the tribes and the clans uh, are all listed here in the families of how they went about doing this great work and repairing it. One of the things that's amazingly beautiful in this is what you would notice is that you have everybody coming together to do this work, regardless of their status, regardless of their position. You certainly have Nehemiah leading the way, being an important figure in the Persian Empire, and yet willing to come back to Jerusalem to be a leader for this task. You'll notice in chapter 3, verse 1, who is the very first person listed as as doing this work and building the gates? The high priest. Uh, You know, you might think, well, the high priest could sit there and go, well, I've got this important job over here, and all of you guys go ahead and do that work. Very first first line is the high priest is involved. Even he is out there, and he is building, and he is doing this work. We're reading about craftsmen, goldsmiths, refiners, perfumers, priests, Merchants, everybody is doing their part. Everyone is doing their share. You'll notice in chapter 3 and verse 12, you read about a man named Shalom. It says there in verse 12, he is a ruler of half the city of Jerusalem. And yet he is out there and he is doing the work along with his daughters. And they are doing the repairs to the walls and to the gates and to the city itself. So you're getting a beautiful picture of everybody coming together, great and small, far and wide, desiring to do this great work. 
It might remind you a little bit of how the Apostle Paul spoke of how the people of God in the church are supposed to do the same thing. And that we might have all of these different gifts and all of these different abilities and God gave all of these different works. And yet each part comes together and does this work and does it share. And you might remember as Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, you can't have an eye saying to the hand and the nose saying to the foot and body parts saying, I'm more important than you. Every part is important. Every part does its share. I love how it's put in Ephesians chapter four and verse five, because it talks about here when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every part doing its work properly brings about the growth of the body. You're seeing a beautiful picture here. of It didn't matter who it was. You'd look at maybe social status or abilities. And yet here in Nehemiah's day, everybody's doing the work, except there's one little sour note. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. In chapter 3, verse 5, it reads, And next to them were the Tekoites, and they repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Really an interesting change up here that's given is that here is this huge list of all the people and all the family clans and all the individuals and what their status was and how they're all doing the work. Except there's this one little line in here that goes, except there were these nobles and they wouldn't bother to lift a finger. They wouldn't bother to pull their way. They wouldn't bother to do the work. They were not interested in participating. They did not want to do this, this great work that stood, stood before them. And I think it is interesting that this is noted for us. We, we have a saying even today about how 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people, <laughs> that kind of thing. And it is interesting to observe that that is always just human nature, the human condition is that even as something as important, as exciting as rebuilding Jerusalem and putting the walls back intact and getting things back in order, there were still people who looked at this and went, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to be a part of that. I am not interested in, in doing this work. And friends, that can be really frustrating. It is. I can't imagine what this looked like. Here are the Tekoites and here they are doing all the work. And here are these others right next to them, and they're just looking at them going, yeah, how's that going? And they're not lifting a finger. They're not doing anything. And yet what I want you to see in chapter 3 is that didn't stop them. That can't stop us from doing the work. Sometimes we can get so demoralized and so discouraged because we look and we go, well, there's not everybody participating. Not everybody is as zealous. Not as everybody is so interested and we kind of wonder, well, what's going on? And I want you to see, here we are. You can run this back 2,400 years ago, and it's the same story. You have some people who are very zealous for the work, and you have some people who are not going to participate. They're not going to be a part of, of this great work. And so you see that picture given. And so not only do you see then this great zeal in chapter 3 with this long list of names, and workers who are repairing all of these parts of the city, even though there are some who are not participating, you would wish that this would be, and they lived happily ever after, you know, they got past a couple of the naysayers and the wet blankets and got on with the work and it was done and it was no problem whatsoever. But what we're going to now read about is an awful lot of turmoil. 
Now, we probably are not too surprised about reading about this opposition that is going to arise in this work. You might remember back in chapter 2 and verse 10, we read about these three guys, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And you're going to read a lot about them in this book. And they are not happy that Nehemiah has come back to do what is good for the people and benefit their welfare. And they have already tried to cause a little bit of trouble when Nehemiah comes and announces what he's come to do. They start jeering Nehemiah and saying, well, you must be some kind of rebel and you're going against the king. Never mind the king had sent him, but they're making up a story. Oh, you're, you're a big rebel. Well, now chapter 4 is going to reveal what they're going to do about this. And you'll notice in chapter 4, verse 1, it just simply says, When Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. I think it is an interesting start. It is something that I found very striking to me. It's a a simple sentence there in that that first verse of of chapter 4. And yet, it is just so interesting to me to see how people can get so angry about doing God's work. Because that's what happens here. They're building the wall that God wants them to build. They're restoring the city and repairing the walls, the work that God wants them to do. And you have people, and it's not like they're just mildly disgruntled about this. It says that he is angry and greatly enraged. He is just fit to be tied. That they would be possibly be doing this work. And I want you to notice then what he responds, how he responds to this, what he does. It says there at the end of verse 1, he's jeering at them. They're ridiculing them. They're insulting them as they do this work. And the insults are are pretty interesting. Notice verse 2. He said in the presence of his brothers and in the army of Samaria. So this is not just, you know, him and his wife talking about this. This is quite an audience hearing what he's saying. And here's what he says. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? Oh, you guys are making quite a wall there, aren't you? You're basically taking the stones out of the trash can and putting them back up together. That's going to be beautiful. These burned rocks, this isn't going to work. You can't finish this. Do you really think you can do that? He's just tearing them apart verbally. He's just laying them out. And if Sanballat wasn't saying enough, notice verse 3. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are built, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. You guys are such pathetic builders that if an animal decided to walk on it, the whole thing would fall down. You guys are doing a great job out there. You are useless. You can't get this done. Trash rocks built improperly. They're all just going to fall down if I breathe on it. That's the kind of jeering that is going on as they're out there trying to get the stones together to rebuild these walls and build these gates. Well, how would you take that? 
Uh, obviously not going to be too pleasant to listen to hour in and hour out, day in and day out as you come out there. And these guys come walking out there and they're just making a pile of noise and insulting and jeering and saying all these things. All of their insults about their work. But I want you to notice the response that Nehemiah has in verse 4. Verse 4 we read, Nehemiah, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. One thing that you're going to get used to about Nehemiah, we did a whole lesson on it last week in chapters 1 and 2. How does Nehemiah respond to every confrontation and every obstacle that comes before him? He prays. He prays every single time. And now here you have all these guys just just making a mockery of them, of what they're doing. And Nehemiah, he just turns to God in prayer. And he just prays to God. And he just tells God, all right, I want you to be noting what they're doing. I want you to see what they're doing. Fits very well with what we talked about this morning. He doesn't go out there and punch them in the face. He doesn't start insulting them back. He just, God, you see what they're doing. You know what they're doing. And I want you to hold them accountable for what they're doing. You see how they're trying to demoralize us. But I want you to notice verse 6. So we built the wall. They're jeering and they're insulting and they're causing all of that racket. And I want you to see it says that they built the wall. Notice how they were able to do that. Look at verse 6. They have the wall half its height. And it says at the end of verse 6. For the people had a mind to work. That is the beautiful picture. And it's the title of our lesson this, this evening. The people had a mind to work. They're going to let the Lord take care of the jeering and the insults and the problems. And they are going to continue to do the work. You might be mindful of how the Apostle Paul talked that way in Romans chapter 12. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. We're just going to keep doing the work. We're just going to keep doing good. We're going to keep doing what's right. And I want you to see that's exactly what they do. They're not going to be distracted from the work. They pray to God. They keep serving God. And they keep doing the work. Now, you would now hope there'd be a line right here. And we'd go. And so that just took care of the opposition and they finished the wall and they lived happily ever after. You know, that's not how the opposition ever works. The opposition never goes away. If you are able to overcome the first wave of opposition, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get another wave of opposition and the intensity is going to increase. And that's now what happens in verse 7. As you notice what takes place here, it says in verse 7, Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard that we were repairing the walls of Jerusalem and going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed and they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion. Okay, if the verbal assaults are not enough, then we might just go ahead and stir up some trouble, stir up confusion, and it might even come to physical confrontation. They are making plans to attack these men who are attempting to do the work and to build this wall. 
And so there they go. They are now scheming and planning. What can we do to stop them? They're going to even attack them and cause them all kinds of problems, trying to cause confusion even in the city itself. And so what is going to be the response of the people when the intensity of the opposition ramps up even more? We've gone from verbal insults to now we are going to attack you and harm you. Look at verse 9. And we prayed to our God. And we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. I love it. They find out about this. And what are they going to do? They're going to pray. And now they're going to make some preparations as well. They know that the opposition is not just going to hurl insults anymore, but they're actually looking to come to the city itself and attack them. And so they put out some watches, some watch guards to pay attention, to watch for when they come. And so they're setting guards. Let us know when they come. But I want you to see the effect that is beginning to happen at this point. Listen to verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. I think this is fascinating to see is that even though they have a mind to work and are dedicated to the task, and it says earlier there in in verse 6 that they've got half of the height of the wall going already. And with all of the insults and all of the jeering that's going on, and now the confusion that the opposition's trying to cause in their midst, and even now plotting attacks against them, there becomes this point where their discouragement becomes overwhelming. You notice he says there, it says there in verse 10, there's too much rubble. Can you imagine what that looked like for a minute? And you're just looking at all of the strewn ruins. I got to enjoy that a few weeks ago, getting to be at some of the ancient historical sites of biblical places. And it's just stones just strewn everywhere. There is no particular order to it. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just stones thrown everywhere. And just imagine just standing there and going, do you see all this? We're going to put that back together again. We're going to build these walls. We're going to rebuild this city. They say, there's, there's too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild. This is too much. It is impossible. And not only do they have a feeling of that, You'll notice that verse 11, you have what the conspiracy is. The enemies are saying, we're going to go in. They're not going to see us coming. And it says in verse 11, we're going to kill them and stop the work. Anybody signing up for wall building duty now? Uh, Here they come. We're going to kill them. We're going to make sure this work stops. And they're getting discouraged. Uh, Look at how how much the opposition is look how hard it is look how many how much rubble there is look at all these rocks how are we going to be able to do this the work is too much friends and you think about that for a moment for your own life and in your own circumstances how often does our discouragement come in doing the will of God, because we look around and we see that there is so much work to do. And you just go, you know, we can't do that. 
There's just too much. How are we going to be able to accomplish this? There's no way. I can't tell you if I'd be a rich man if I had a dollar for every time I felt that in the years that I've been here. There is too much to do in this city, too much to do in this county, too much to try to accomplish in in doing the work of God. There's no way that we can do it. I want you to see the picture that's given to us because Nehemiah steps into this moment. And in verse 14, it says, I looked, that's Nehemiah speaking. It says, I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and all of the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. I think he gives two answers in one big important answer here they are saying we can't do this and i think nehemiah's answer is essentially you're right if you're thinking about it in terms of you yourself doing the work by your own strength and your own might you're right that's not going to work but you're not alone remember the lord he says remember that you have god with you Remember that he is the one who can help you. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. You have God who is with you. And how many times do the scriptures have to say to us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. You know, so often what I want to do is so it's be strong in myself and in the strength that I can muster at that my given moment. And God says, you're not going to succeed that way. Remember, you're not alone. Remember, you have God. You have God who is with you, who is great and awesome. But notice the rest of what he says. You're not alone. Remember your brothers. Remember your family. Remember your, your, your people that you have. You're not alone in this task. Look at all the people who have come back to rebuild the city, to rebuild these walls. You're not by yourself in that work. I do think this is one of perhaps many reasons why God gives us a local family of faith. Because one of the things that's happening right here, right now, every Sunday, every Wednesday, anytime we come together, is we are reminded We're not alone in the work. We're not alone in the work. We're all here doing the work. We're all here trying to accomplish the task. Remember you have God. It's not by your strength. And remember you have one another to rely upon and depend upon. And Nehemiah stands up and proclaims that you have God and we have one another. We can do this work. And so that is exactly what happens. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us, And that God had frustrated their plan. We all return to the wall, each to his work. It doesn't say what happened, but what it says is enough. Notice that verse 15 says that God frustrated their plan. Now, it doesn't tell us what happened. I'd like to know. All right, what did he do? But here's what I want you to see. The invisible hand of God was at work. Because they're depending upon God and they're praying to God. 
And in doing so, it says God frustrated their plans. They weren't going to succeed in trying to overthrow this work. Even though they felt so discouraged, God was with them and God was going to thwart their plans and the plans of the enemies. And so all of it says in verse 15, return to this work. They return to the wall and they're accomplishing this great work that lies before them. And now you would want to draw the line and say, so now they lived happily ever after and they the opposition went away and they didn't trouble them anymore because God thwarted their plans. Now you're getting the theme here, right? <laughs> no, the opposition's not done. I want you to notice the threat continues. Look at verse 16. What is described here is just fascinating. Please visualize this as I read from verse 16. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other hand. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And when I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. What a picture. Says there from that day on, you've got servants Some of them are going to be devoted to the construction and some of them are devoted to protection. And then it even says that some of the workers, those who are carrying the burdens, you can imagine them bringing in the stones and dragging all that to their proper places. They have to have the thing that they're carrying in one hand and a weapon in another hand. That's how dangerous it is. In fact, it's so dangerous that it says in verse 18, the builders have to have swords strapped to their side while they're trying to lift these stones and do this work. And it's so dangerous that here Nehemiah says, since we're spread out, you can just imagine across a couple of miles trying to build these walls. So when you hear the trumpet sound, then that means there's an attack and you need to rally to that point and defend your people. Now, again, who's signing up for the building work with that condition? Unbelievable what they are doing. Unbelievable what they are sacrificing and how they are able to do this. And I want you to notice yet another picture that's given to us is that there is this mind that they have that they are going to do this work Well, what is their confidence? Where does it come from? You notice what they say at the end of verse 20. Our God will fight for us. Our God's going to give us the victory. Our God is going to be the reason why we succeed. We know that God is with us. We know that this is the work that God wants us to do. And so we have God with us and they believe that God is with them and he is going to fight All right, now let's talk about a couple of messages and applications that I think from this beautiful two chapters that are given to us about what these people did as they labored for God in doing the work. 
I, I may mention that the title of the lesson is A Mind to Work. And the thing that you see is with all of the opposition and all of the problems and all of the difficulties that these people had such a devotion to doing the work of God. We have read all of the dangers, all of the resistance, and all of the problems that they were facing. Remember that here, even among themselves, there are some that are unwilling to do the work. That's discouraging. And yet they're going to have a mind to do the work, even though there are some who are just sitting on the sidelines, who are not going to lift a finger, who are not going to participate. The rest of them still have a mind to do the work. And then you're seeing that there are going to be some who are just going to outright insult you for trying to do the work. They're going to say ugly, rude, awful things to you, and they are going to mock you. And they're going to say you're useless and you can't accomplish anything. And you don't know anything about the Bible. What good could you possibly do? You don't know anything about serving God. I saw you sin yesterday. There's going to be all kinds of insults that are going to be thrown at you as you're trying to do God's work. And here again, you are seeing, but that does not stop them from doing this work. They're going to verbally say all kinds of horrible things about you. And yet God wants us to continue to do this work. And not only could it get to that point, but it can go further. That you see can even come to physical confrontation like these people had to deal with. That it can even be that people will get up in your face and confront you and challenge you and want to harm you because you are trying to serve the Lord and you are trying to do God's good work. And that we can see this problem uh, be so dangerous for for these uh, people. I, I want us to think about would we be willing to continue to serve God, worship God, proclaim God, tell the world about God in a circumstance that is as dangerous as what you're reading about in chapter four. You go out there and do the work, they're going to try to kill you. You still in? You still have a mind to work? What I want us to see is the reason why they were able to overcome all of this opposition and all of these obstacles is because the mind to do the work truly must come from a complete commitment. It really does require perseverance, a mentality that says, I'm not going to give up even when the work gets hard. I'm not going to give up even though I have my critics. I'm not going to give up even though people say all kinds of insulting things. I'm not going to give up even if I see other people not helping or participating. I'm not going to give up even if they try to stop me from doing what is right and doing what is good and serving God. I'm not going to give up. There must be within our hearts that desire that says, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to be faithful to him. And I see that there is a work that needs to be done. And I am going to do that work, which then ultimately means that kind of commitment comes from seeing the glory of God. You have to just appreciate who God is and be so awestruck by what he's done for us 
that we are willing to do whatever it takes to serve him. He has sacrificed so much for me that how can I not then sacrifice myself for him? And so when the work seems to be too much or too hard, we trust that God will give us success because we're not alone in this work. We trust in God and we know that we are joined to an important work. And I think it is important for us to think about that mentality of the work that lays before us. I want you to think about that work that lays before us, not only as an individual, start there, think about your spheres of influence, think about the people you're talking to, the people you come in contact with, think about who you have in the, on your job, in the neighborhood, all those circumstances, but then back out from that a little bit and just think about the work of Palm Beach County. About one million people live in Palm Beach County. And we could look at it and go, well, there's too much rubble and there's too much work and it's just going to be tough. And you know, look at us, we're little and we, what are we going to do? Or we can look at it and say, God has given us a great work and we must do this work. We cannot stop doing the work. And I hope that verse 20 of chapter 4, that final sentence of verse 20 will be emblazoned upon our hearts. Our God's going to fight for us. Our, our God's with us in this work. It looks like an insurmountable task, but that's the task God has given us. And we can do this work. Don't allow discouragement and weakness and hardship to get in the way of you doing the work that God has called you to do. I love how the Apostle Paul puts his finger on that very point and uses it for a positive. We sometimes talk about our hardships and discouragement and problems and our inabilities as a reason why we can't do the work. But remember what the Apostle Paul said as he has this difficulty, this, this suffering, this thorn in the flesh. Here's God saying to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So what does Paul say? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Bring all of that on. All of those problems, all of the suffering, all of the obstacles, all of the weaknesses, all of the insults, all of my inabilities, because you know what that does? It causes me to rely upon God all the more. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. I need to be reminded that it's not my power. It's not my intellect. It's not my ability to spin through the Bible left and right. It's about the word of God and the power of God to change lives. And here's what the Apostle Paul said. That gives me contentment. My weaknesses remind me to rely upon the power of God because that's the way it's going to happen. Our God will fight for us. And that is how we can have the mind to work. Friends, I am find it absolutely exciting that there are so many of you who are taking initiatives and you're starting Bible studies and Bible classes and you're reaching out and doing all these great things. 
That is music to our ears to hear you do that. I will, I, I, I've said this many times, but I will say it as a reminder to you. You doing God's work does not have to run through an eldership. <laughs> you don't need approval to do God's work. You see the need, you do the work. You don't have to clear that with anybody. <laughs> you clear it with God. God says, I have a great work that needs to be done. You go do that work and you go accomplish it. It is so important that we take those responsibilities upon ourselves. There is an opportunity for me. I'm just going to go take it. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to start a study. I'm going to help those who are weak. I'm going to serve these people. You go and you go do that work. That does not have to be us saying, okay, now let's make sure you let us know. what." I, no, you just go do. You have been given that task. You have been given that responsibility. If it is a work that God says to do in these scriptures, then by all means, you go and do it. And that's what I think is the beauty of what chapter three is, is observing. Every part doing its share. Everybody doing their part of what they can do. And everybody has something that they can do in the work of the kingdom of God. There is something that you can accomplish and if you're looking for more stuff to do, you come talk to Dan and I. We'll give you more stuff to do. If you want more stuff to do, we can get you busy. Uh, we're, we're already doing things and rolling out more delegation of having more people do more things. I'm excited about how the Trujillos are taking on the visitor packets and reaching the visitors and doing more with that. We're going to keep trying to throw more things at you. If, hey, you want stuff to do? We'll give you all kinds of great things to do. But please... If you see something you can do, just go do it. There is a great work that is in front of us. And our God will fight for us. And we will do this work in this area. In the face of insult, in the face of hardship, in the face of calamity, we will do the work that God has given us to do. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have given us a work that is before us. And Lord, I pray that we would not be discouraged because we look at ourselves and think we are insufficient or that we look out and see the work and think it is too hard or too much. But rather, Lord, let those times of discouragement cause us to see that we're looking to ourselves and not looking to you. God, I pray for forgiveness for as often as we have stepped back from the opportunities that you have given us because we think we can't do it. We think we are unable. We don't see the importance of what can be done. And Lord, I pray that you would help us have the courage to take advantage of opportunities that are before us. Help us talk to our neighbors and friends. Help us to start Bible studies. Help us to serve one another. Help us to reach the lost. Help us to do so many works that you have called us to do because there is so much work that needs to be done. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts in that effort, that you would give us a mind to work, and that that mind to work would always be grounded on the truth that you are our God, great and awesome, and that you will fight for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We'll sing an invitation song now. We invite you to come to this great work that Jesus has called you, that he gives you a purpose. He gives you a reason for living for him and doing the work that stands before us. We want you to enjoy that this very day. Turn away from your sins. 
Confess Jesus to be the Son of God who died for your sins. If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, we see that in the scriptures. Everyone has done that, and we call for you to do that as well. If we can help you in any way, let us know, or you can come forward while we stand and while we sit.